This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia that anyone can edit. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show putting humanities back into science fiction. My name is Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we watched the thing that the Wikipedia for Star Trek is named after. Oh yes, some sort of uh, memory of the alpha sort of stuff here, right? Yeah, and that is, that is, that's it. Like, we could end the episode here, because... <laughs> that's, that's literally the most interesting thing in the episode. That's the main contribution to all the chick canon that this episode provides. This episode is called Lights of Zatar. Zatar, Zatar, Z guitar, uh, solo. There we go. <laughs> Which is, it's also like the most generic sci-fi title imaginable. Like, yes, here's something kind of spooky. And that's it. Lights of made up place. Mm, yes, um, you know, uh, Hamburger of Nothlog. There we go. That's another, <laughs> you know, equivalent uh, episode title. Go right to the check continues, people. <laughs> this episode was written by a husband and wife team, Jeremy uh, Tarcher, who founded a publishing company that focuses on health, beauty, and wellness publications. As far as I can tell, he didn't do a lot of other screenwriting. Yeah, there's something about uh, the, the Sherry show in the 70s. Yeah. Never heard of it. And his wife of the time, uh, Sherry Lewis, who anyone my age will best remember for being the human person on Lamb Chop's Play Along. Oh, yeah. So that's that Sherry. I got it now. This is the song that never ends. Uh, no. On a, oh, okay. I, <laughs> I knew we were going to do that. So in addition to uh, her being a talented ventriloquist and puppeteer, she was also a writer and actress who also auditioned to play the guest star starring female character on this episode, but was not cast, unfortunately, because that would have been way more interesting. She's kind of delightful. So the guest star that we did get is Jan Shutton, who plays Lieutenant Mira Romaine. Like noodles? Or the lettuce. She guest starred on a lot of other shows, including on Andy Griffith, and was in a lot of kind of serial bad movies, including something called Dracula's Dog, which came out in 1978. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dracula's Dog. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then we I can't wait for the gritty reboot Dracula's Dog the Return. <laughs> and then the sequel Dracula's Cat. <laughs> Is Dracula a cat person? It's pro probably spooky cats, you know, remember Cat's Paw? He has a big spooky castle, so there's got to be a black cat somewhere. The kids version Dracula's Hamster. <laughs> you know, the, the more edgy version, uh, you know, Dracula's Snake. <laughs> Dracula's Dog on Blue's Clues. Do you see the blood? <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> I sense something delicious. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> All right. Okay. Back to the episode. <laughs> We're trying to salvage some semblance of fun and enjoyment out of this week. <laughs> yeah. As well. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know how long this is going to take because this is a weird, weird, no nothing happens episode, but they sure take a long time to say it. It's an episode with tension and not a whole lot else. 
is there tension? I guess there's the there's the thing they call tension, which is staring at nothing while the music tries to be dramatic. Yes. So, original series tension. <laughs> the Enterprise is on its way to Memory Alpha, which is the Federation's library database planet, with the collected knowledge of all Federation member planets all rolled into one giant thingamabob dome. So uh, that means, like, you know, all the possible knowledge and histories of all the people and planets of this Federation all been brought here into one centralized location. I hope nothing bad happens to it. Nothing bad ever happens when you have all the collected works of human history in one library. If science fiction has taught us anything, it always turns out just fine and dandy. Oh, hi, River Song. Anyway. (laughs) They are joined by one Lieutenant Mira Romaine, a some kind of specialist who's on board to help them transfer data from the Enterprise library computers to Memory Alpha. She's also got Scotty Thirsty AF. Yeah, she she's like new to space travel and she's already like wooing, you know, sp- you know veteran space travelers and Scotty's just getting creepy again. You know, he, he might be the most competent person on the ship, but whenever he falls in love or has to deal with a lady of any sort, it just falls apart. Yeah, it's insane. And then Literally, her intro is Lieutenant Mira Romaine, who's come on board to ba da ba Also, Scotty Horny. Yep. <laughs> this is like she used to care about the ship, but now is there is only the woman. Yeah, because Kirk will always love the Enterprise. Scotty, he he can be wooed away. So while Scotty's busy being distracted by Mira, Sulu picks up some blinky blinky lights. Uh oh. Blinkiness. Outside, not the normal blinky lights that are always on the bridge. Outside, other blinky lights. As the uh, the cat from Red Dwarf would say, it's you know it's a, it's a blinky thing. The light things impact the ship, affecting each member of the crew somewhat differently. This is unimportant. It knocks Mira unconscious and zooms into her eyeball. She makes some weird noises, and then you know the whole thing disappears, and everyone's fine. Yeah, uh, her her dr- hard drive is being scratched up. Don't worry about it. McCoy comes to look after everyone, and Mira keeps insisting that she's fine until Kirk finally orders her to sick bay. Scotty wants to join her, of course, but Kirk goes, what are you doing? You have work to do. Scotty, seriously, we just got hit by a weird space phenomenon. That generally means you should probably, like, make sure the engines aren't about to explode. In sick bay, uh, Mira's normal and nothing's going wrong, but she's very ticked off that she's getting a medical checkup. Even though, as McCoy points out, she's literally the only person on the ship that passed out, and they should probably figure out why. Yeah, that would make total sense, Mira. Come on, chill. Scotty shows up and is able to convince Mira to be a little bit cooperative. It turns out that the reason she's being so weird is because this is her first deep space assignment, and she's worried that any bad medical review will hurt her later career. Given that everyone else on the ship has been like mind-controlled or turned into like cubes or something like that at some point... I think getting one bad medical review is going to be okay, lady. I question whether there's anything anyone on this ship could do that would affect their careers negatively. Yes. <laughs> so it says here that you are inhabited by the, uh, the, 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 the an ancient spirit of a proto-Vulcan, and um, you, you almost murdered somebody. Um, cool. Uh, go back to work. Oh. oh, you did murder someone, but they were unnamed. Okay, cool. That's fine. That's then. fine. <laughs> Back on the bridge, Sulu has plotted the trajectory of the Blinky Blinky Light Show, and it's headed straight from Memory Alpha. Oh no, it's going to be looking up all our Star Trek facts. Yeah, it it didn't do anything to the ship or anyone on board, but they're super, super worried about what it's going to do to the planet. Well, they, like, raise their shields, I guess, but apparently Memory Alpha doesn't have them, given that, once again, 
nothing bad ever happens to the library. You know, they don't have to have shields, I guess. Their communication is blocked, so they can't warn them. And they're not yet in ranged inner orbit, so they can't get there in time. And they just have to sit there and watch as the lights intersect the planet and then move on. Oh, so I didn't eat the moon. That's 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 okay. Um, let's, uh, let's figure out how everybody's doing down there. Do they, you know, do they pass out as well or what? Well, Spock now reads, no life or no power anywhere on the planet. Whoops. Hmm. Well, it's probably going to be dark when we beam down. Kirk tries to track down Scotty, but he's not at his post because he's still hanging out in sick bay. Bad Scotty. Get back to work. Kirk asks about Mira, who he insists on referring to as the girl through this entire episode. Come on, man. Seriously? The only reference that he makes to Scotty not being at his post is snarkily going, well, is McCoy there or is he in engineering? <laughs> I did get a little chuckle about that, but it's sort of like, yeah, this is, this is the best thing in a kind of terrible episode. I mean, it's it's fine as like snarky humor, but like that's that's the only thing that we're going to say the entire episode about your chief engineer, like shirking all of his duties. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little disappointing. Apparently Mira is basically fine, so they all have to like leave her and go down to the planet to see what's going on. As they leave, Mira's eye sees lights and some dead aliens in her mind, possibly. Oh no, some random guy. And an Andorian over there. Ominous. They beam down to a really, really bright room that they claim is pitch black. Hmm. Uh, no, no commentary there, just they beam down to a normally lit room and go like, Oh my god, it's so dark. Come on, guys, at least try day for night, or, you know, night for day, or whatever it is, that, that one film technique where you just sort of make everything filtered. Yeah, you could just put the filter. I guess they didn't have access to the filters because they slashed the budget. So turn off the lights, man, then you can afford a filter. Uh, wait a moment. Actually, I've seen them do this in New York. Like, even even scenes shot at night have, like, giant freaking, like, street-sized lamps that they put up to make the entire street as bright as daytime, and then they put the filter on anyway. <laughs> Filming uh, is so weird. <laughs> yeah. So they find that the computer memory is burnt out. And the library is basically destroyed. And in the next room, there's a bunch of dead academic aliens. So something terrible did happen to the library that we didn't want to uh, figure out uh, any sort of defense for. Who could have thought? It's also just like what we saw Mira saw. And there's one woman still alive. She's making, like, weird noises and changing colors. Yeah, so so Mira was making weird noises before, but she wasn't changing colors. She was just making weird noises. Yeah, but they think that since Mira was making the same weird noises, they should beam her down to see what's going on with this woman. Like, hey, yeah, Mira, you're weird. Um, let's see if you can communicate with this lady or something. Yeah, yeah, they beam her down go, hey, you were making these noises. She's like, I don't remember this. Why am I here? That's a good question, actually. She's pretty understandably freaked out about, you know, everyone being dead. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, thanks for uh, bringing me into the uh, the newest cemetery and mass grave here on Memory Alpha. Um, can I go now, please? She also gets a premonition that the lights are going to come back and kill them all. But Kirk's like, no, the lights are gone. And then Sulu calls and goes, no, the lights are coming back. Oh, no. Wait a moment. Does she, does she have precognition? Apparently. Yeah. I, I, have, I have my doubts about that, actually. Because uh, I think it's more she's just in communication with the, 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 the spooky lights. And the spooky lights know these things. <laughs> so. The spooky lights know what the spooky lights are going to do. It's like, we're going to come back and eat some more people. Um, the lights are coming back. 
trapped. They're onto us. <laughs> Back on the ship, they try to outrun the lights, but they start matching the ship's movements and actively chasing them. So unlikely to be a natural phenomenon. So, or unless there's like some sort of like I don't know magnetic attraction going on here. Like, maybe it's drawn to uh, antimatter or, you know, weird acting. In engineering, Scotty's hanging out with Mira, who is freaked out because she had the earlier premonition of all the dead people and then the premonition of the thing coming back, and now the premonition that they're all going to die anyway. Oh, no. So you basically, once again, know that the, what the lights are doing. Yeah. They want to kill everybody. <laughs> As the lights continue to chase them, matching every single move the ship makes, Spock manages to scan the lights and discovers that it is, in fact, a life form, or rather, ten distinct life units. What does that mean? I don't know. This they they keep talking about like we've discovered a life form of intensity, or we have ten life units. It's like what is what is any of this? What are you measuring life in? I, I don't know uh, the amount of non-decaying DNA, uh, the heartbeats, um, brain waves, uh, cellular, you know. Energy use, I shrug. Kirk uncharacteristically decides to try talking to them because, you know, maybe they don't know that they're living things and that contacting them is actually harmful. Well, that's actually kind of a reasonable thing to be wondering about here because, you know, you know they, they haven't tried to say hello. <laughs> so this does not seem to work because there's no response. So Kirk goes back to his good old standby violence. All right, let's start shooting things. This does stop the lights for a little bit, but also it knocks out Mira. Oh no, she's still connected to them, and apparently they're painful now, and she's feeling that pain as well, or I don't know. Yeah, Scotty calls the bridge to tell them about this, and they basically leap to the conclusion that they can't continue shooting the light blob because they will probably kill Mira in the process. Mira, uh, do you want to like get in a, like, a shuttle and like go very far away and see if that helps you know, you not die if we shoot it again. Kirk basically just orders her cleaned up and brought to the briefing room for some sort of questioning. Uh, she doesn't have much of an explanation apart from what we already know, so this whole scene's pretty pointless. McCoy looks into her record and sees nothing unusual except for her having a flexible mind that allows her to learn quickly. So she's a smarty pan. They repeat this a lot, except for her flexible, compliant mind. So she's nimble with the brain waves. Uh, now comparing her baseline readings from before to the readings that he took now after she was knocked unconscious, he found that her brain wave patterns have changed, which apparently is supposed to be impossible because it's like a fingerprint or retina scan or other identifying doodad. I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah. This, this is back when they first hooked an electrode to someone's brain and went, Oh my God, squiggles! Yep, <laughs> there's some sort of electromagnetic activity in there. Weird. Spock recognizes the brainwave pattern as the energy pattern that the lights give off. Moving in sync. Uh, there's some sort of mind melding happening. Yes. Hey, Spock, do you want to talk to these aliens via this lady? Yeah, they didn't even think of that, did they? <laughs> no. So as soon as they finish their meeting, the lights, with their dramatic timing, decide that it's now time to attack again. Well, uh, maybe the aliens or the lights there or whatever were uh, were like wait, wanted to figure out what happened to the meeting as well, so they were patient. Because you know, you know, it could be a very easily a two-way communication going on. Now, Kirk has some sort of idea around that, because he's like, well, Mira has a connection, which is our only chance. Don't resist the aliens when they attack. That's our only chance for survival. Get everyone to the medical lab! 
Da -da -da -da, to the medical lab, everyone! And now let your brain be totally taken over by these alien forces! How many of them are there? There are ten units at least, maybe many more. You could have an entire civilization of evil people that want us all dead now running around your head. So do enjoy your lack of, you know, your lack of yourself as you are slowly destroyed by this hostile invading force. And the lights pass through the ship, into the medical lab, into Mira. She starts changing color, making weird noises. She is able to maintain some amount of control of herself, but the lights are so strong and soon begin to speak through her for exposition time. Dun, 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 dun. Exposition time. Let's go. We like an exposition theme song. They're from Zatar, a planet that was destroyed long, long, long ago, but their will to live was too strong, and they left their planet in search of someone who could... It let them live again. So they're basically ghosts yeah. trying to inhabit somebody else's body. Yeah, they're mind parasites or something. Yeah. It's like the movie Ghost all over again, but in space. We want to make pottery. <laughs> There's so many pots that we were unable to make in our lifetime. But if we get the wheel going now, we can make many, many, many. Something about Whoopi Goldberg, because I don't really remember that movie. They put Mira in what they call an anti-grav chamber. It's a pressure chamber. It's actually the treasure chamber we remember from Space Seed when they were torturing people to death. So they're going to torture the lights to death now? Mm-hmm. They start to increase the pressure in the chamber. Going like, it's too dangerous. No, push it more. But it's too dangerous. No, more. I'm pretty sure I saw it read like... 30, 40 atmospheres at one point. It's like, she's dead. She's like 100% yeah. dead. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you can sort of keep the, you know, the pressure in your lungs equalized, the pressure outside, that's one thing. But that, that only helps you for so long when the pressure keeps going up like that. <laughs> so it's like, oh, now my muscles are being squeezed. And yeah, and then, you know, oh, now there's this massive pressure on my skull. That's going to implode. Because there's no way to, you know, equalize the pressure inside there, and yeah, it's going to get messy. Not that quickly, anyway. <laughs> and the lights die. They leave, they die. I guess they don't like pressure either. Under pressure. Reminds me of the, uh, the Futurama joke. It's like, how many, how many atmospheres can they withstand? Well, they live in space, so anywhere between zero and one. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> While they're going into the ocean. <laughs> okay, the the lights, are, this, this is it. The lights are gone. They make a mild note about how she's going to be in there for several hours because the bends, so at least there's that. They don't want to give her nitrogen, nitrogen poisoning. <laughs> yes, because that would suck. Later, they set course back to Memory Alpha for Mira to continue her work, and Spock, McCoy, Scotty, and Kirk all hang out, and they all go, yeah, she is great. And Kirk goes, oh my god, they all agree on something. <laughs> Holy smokes, this, the, we must be getting near to the end of the series, if that's true. Holy crap. <laughs> this is the first time they've all been horny with the same person at the same time. <laughs> Even Spock said on it, Holy smokes. <laughs> Hey, that's all. That's it. It's yeah, just, yeah, that's the end. We're done. It's all. She's never shows up again. Guess there's a novel where exactly the same thing happens on Memory Alpha again, and then the crew show up and do something, and then that was all. And that was it, and they're done. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I I do kind of have to feel 
kind of bad for Mira because she's going down to memory alpha and then the Enterprise, I'm guessing, is just going to leave. Yeah, have fun with the dead bodies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's like, you know, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people down there that all died and their bodies are just going to be littered around while you're supposed to be, I guess, fixing the system. Yeah, you're good, right? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is a time to go and get a whole, like, team to work on this thing all at once here um not just one lady but you know budget cuts so this is so sparse we've both talked about how this is so sparse there's like a couple of weirdly tangential things that we can can maybe bring up mine was off-site data backups oh okay let's let's start there because they lose the whole freaking library and it's interesting that it's, it is kind of interesting, I guess, partially because of the space thing, but they have the idea that they can transmit data from, like, the ship to the planet, but not that they could store data in more than one place at once or network it or, you know, have a distributed system in any way. It's just like, here's where all of our information is on this one big computer. You know, even on this one particular, uh, you know, planetoid, you could have, like, several different sites, like, buried under the planet's uh, surface. And, you know, that, you know, be generally shielded from anything that could be uh, trying to, like, you know, laser it or something like that. Yeah. So here's the rules, because I've known a few people, at least one of whom has worked in, like, various computer fields for, like, 15 years, including computer security. So multiple backups that are, like, you have, like, a secure, like, home backup that you just back up basically every day if you can. Um I have Time Machine because I use a Mac, but apparently that's that's bad, but it's not very good because of their weird proprietary software, but it's something. So you have like a local backup that you back up every day. You have a long-term backup for your like other stuff that you back up every couple months or so, or maybe only store super important documents if you don't use your computer for a lot of like actual work stuff. That you back, you keep backed up in like two places so that you have a hard copy at home and you put a hard copy somewhere else that's not at your home. So if your your house like gets flooded or attacked by kaiju, then you know you're still going to have that secondary backup. Mm-hmm. You can use cloud backups, which a lot of people use. If you use cloud backups, you are beholding to whether or not that company is going to choose to honor their agreements to keep a cloud backup for you. So don't rely on that. And copy your entire hard drive every now and again. Be on a schedule. Copy your whole hard drive. Switch your old your old offsite copied hard drive with your new hard hard copied hard drive. If you have friends, like right now, that's difficult because we're not supposed to touch each other. But if you have friends, like do a hard drive swap. Like you know, every month I'll come over and take your hard drive and you take my hard drive. But password and protect and, con- and encrypt your backup hard drives because, you know, that's all your information. And someone can just plug into that. How about a scheme where we, like, have dead drops and things like that where we aren't actually meeting in person, but we're going to be putting hard drives in a box and someone comes by later and picks it up? Yeah, that's what those tiny libraries are for. Yeah. <laughs> Except for hard drives as opposed to books. So anyway, off-site backups. Maybe that's what the Enterprise was there to do. They were just going to off-site backup. Hmm. Oh, that would actually kind of makes sense, you know, because the Enterprise like has a kind of badass computer. Maybe not like all knowledge of all people sort of you know, level computer, but maybe like essential things. They'd be and it's not. It's, I still love this is something that I've always found fascinating about sci-fi from the 50s to the 70s. It's just before the transistor tr- crossover became very public and like computer 
miniaturization started that's exponential growth to what we have now the they like had this thing like well computers are just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger there's like a hard limit to how much space you can take up with a computer so like that's going to be the main limiting factor of space travel is how big of a computer you have to bring with you on the ship uh, even like for the next generation uh the uh, schematics for the uh the, you know the enterprise uh, d uh, has like computer is like the size of a building yeah and even that for the like 80s they knew that they could get the computers smaller they just never never really imagined how yes <laughs> well they're gonna be smaller but we're just gonna also have more computers so we'll, we'll make it bigger too <laughs> yeah instead of now i think we've gotten to a lot of things where you still have large computers for like visual spectacle in in sci-fi tv and movies like a lot of the stuff's like well a quantum computer is probably doesn't even exist in this dimension. So, you know, <laughs> be as big as you well, want. You know. <laughs> now, uh, I have been, uh, you know, around a like legit, like hardcore data processing uh, supercomputer before. That was pretty neat. But that's sort of a specialized sort of device that isn't really there for data storage because, uh, you know, yeah, so servers are for but, you know, actual, you know, hard numbers processing and things like that. And that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was physically large, but it was also like this thing has like 100,000 cores. You you need to have so many actual physical processors in order to make that stand up. And, you know, the miniaturization is making the processors small, you know, smaller, more efficient over time. But still, if you're going to have this many cores for this many threads of simultaneous uh, data processing, then you're going to need actual have different sort of cards, which each one of these on is so. That's something. Well, the thing with that is, like, you have to have individual cards with however many billions of empty cores on them, which, you know, that would probably take up about the size of, you know, a couple suitcases or a shoebox, depending on what you're dealing with. But we have the heat distribution issue still, which, you know, you can't pack them as close together as you would like for efficiency. Indeed. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, this, the building where this was set up, the air conditioning unit was larger than the computer itself. So... <laughs> They had that thing Microsoft did a bit ago where they, like, sunk a data center to the bottom of the ocean so it would stay cold. <laughs> nice. But they have, um, if you're just talking about storage, which, like, I don't, you probably wouldn't need a bunch of processing power for something like this library. Because it's just storage and recall. Yeah, physical storage. Uh, so hard drives of various sorts. Uh. Yeah, and I forget where. There's, there's somewhere that's one of the like big evil corporate data centers that stores all of our internet information it's it's big it's a few warehouses it's like the size of like a medium-sized you know uh hollywood backlot with sets and stuff and that's however many zettabytes of data that is basically storing all knowledge on earth everything uh, we've ever put on the internet is there then including that thing you know mm -hmm. you know the one <laughs> And you know that that's big. It's not planet big. It's like, nope. <laughs> it's like industrial big. Yeah, yeah. That's and humans produce a lot of like superfluous information. To be honest. <laughs> and so, if you were sort of to cut it down to like the essential items, uh, you know, just all the written you know words of uh, you know you know fiction and nonfiction, let's say, as well as like you know literary, you know, you know like you know textbooks, as well as that. That's like a small fraction compared to all the other crap we've sort of put, put, put together out there. 
I mean, a more interesting thing that they don't go into, but would have been kind of fascinating is like, how do you even database and network and make all of the, all the information in the whole of like several planets worth of history and writing and science accessible in any usable fashion? It's going to be a, a little bit of an organizing nightmare, to be honest. My friend and I made up a thing How do you search it? ages ago that was like the funnest Dungeons & Dragons item I've ever seen, and I want to use it in the game again. It was called The Little Big Book of Everything. And <laughs> nice. it was a book that had everything in it, but it was a book that had everything in it. So it was practically useless because you were just as likely to find the key to defeating the most evil villain in history is this one like thimble you can find on a mountaintop somewhere or that Mrs. Gavin down the street had a sick cat last Tuesday. <laughs> and depending on what your adventure is about, either one of these could be very important or not important. Mm. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> That's kind of glorious. I like it. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess this does get kind of uh, close to that thing I, uh, uh, you know, sort of, you know, we had poked at a little bit of the uh, the intro there. Uh, you know, there. There is, you know, things like Wikipedia and Memory Alpha where, you know, like the, the, the real world version of it where there is, you know, where we have this sort of uh, centralized uh, database of information that people are contributing to as opposed to just like the Federation or all information or you know the corporate secrets or whatever you know something that people are actually coming together and sort of putting together in order to sort of you know you know, provide a, a public information service in a way and yeah the wikipedia thing is just fascinating i mean it's kind of i stare at i like have a wikipedia page open that i stare at while we're recording these episodes like every week because i just put the wikipedia for that episode up to refer to <laughs> yeah in case i forget something or you know there's like oh yeah, there's was one thing sort of associated. Let's click on a link real quick while we're thinking about things. Yeah, and they've done. I've been hearing some things recently. They've been writing some articles about this, and there were some interviews uh, not too long ago. And it's kind of fascinating because I am, you know, just in the generation that's old enough to have been encountering Wikipedia when I had to start researching stuff in college, and. You weren't allowed yeah, teachers to for ages. Professors. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you can't rely on that. It's not a vetted uh, source. And like, well, how about the stuff they link to? Hmm, I don't know about that either. Yeah, because you uh, had two things there. You had, like, one, no one was sure about this thing. It was a new experiment of distributed data gathering. Because the entire idea of Wikipedia is that if you have enough people editing the information all of the time, it will reach kind of the general consensus of reality. Yes. And, uh, you know, you do have to sort of keep an eye on things because there are going to be instances where, you know, suddenly, you know, some comedian decides to uh, claim they, uh, like, saved all African elephants or something like that. But, uh, you know, and that will suddenly be on the Wikipedia, or, you know, uh, you know for, for elephants. But, uh, you know, if you, you know, as long as you have some sort of, you know, outside, you know, sort of watchdog making sure, you know, momentary spikes like that don't suddenly create a whole new reality, as, as uh, sort of depicted on by the the wiki there. Uh, you, you can you can very, very uh, reliably seek out that sort of good end state, uh, which I think is kind of cool. It's like you know, we're all working together to make something better. Yeah, and they, they've 
done kind of not exactly experiments, but they've been able to look at it as its own experiment when something gets changed to either a blatant untruth or something people aren't sure about, it gets changed back almost immediately because you've gotten enough people using this to change it over and over and over. And I also saw this interesting thing about this, that uh, Wikipedia is kind of this this representation of distributed information in the internet age that like kind of throws into stark relief the ways that the internet works so much differently from how we expect other things to function because this is a service that so many people do for free and it's the only way it could work because you couldn't employ enough people to keep an eye on everything on wikipedia yeah, yeah, I know people who sort of keep an eye on some selection of articles that they are actually experts on, uh, and they sort of are, you know, volunteering their time to make sure that something that they care about is not being misrepresented uh, by someone who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about, and that's that's kind of cool. And they didn't they didn't specify what they put into the library on Memory Alpha in the episode. But the reason that when we were in college, professors didn't want you using Wikipedia, apart from it being new, is there's this idea that knowledge has to go down. Mm -hmm. Has to come on high, has to be filtered through the experts, and it has to be coming through their publications, their they're, they're textbooks that they've written that you have to pay for. And, you know, all those other sort of sites uh, you know, and sources there. So it's it's very much a, a one-way sort of street. Yeah, I literally had a professor explain it to the class this way that Wikipedia is lateral information from one peer to another. And what you need is hierarchical information from an expert that's being filtered down to you who is the non-expert. What if the expert was by our side, laterally? <laughs> well, it can't be a very good expert. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but I, I, I will say that as far as like you know, professional science, uh, you know, tests and things like that go, uh, the more lateral sort of uh, view is slowly taking hold. That uh, there are you know because you know there are as I said people I know who watch pages on Wikipedia who are experts in their field that are sort of helping sort of, you know, keep that project going. But there's also things like uh, the open access movement that you're like, you know, we're writing all these papers and things like that. And basically anyone who, in order for someone to see our research, the, someone's getting charged twice here. You know, us for getting it published because we have to pay the company to publish our data or our, our, our papers and things like that. And then they sell that as a product to colleges, universities, and individuals so they could read the papers. So how don't we just make our research free for everybody to see? Especially since so much research receives government grants, like taxpayers should be able to read that stuff that, you know, is being yes. paid for with tax money. Yeah, indeed. And uh, even for those who do put you know, papers through the traditional publishing uh, system, more and more there's uh, preprint uh, sort of uh, uh, archives and things like that, like the archive uh, with an X in the middle there. <laughs> Where uh, folks uh, publish uh, certain, you know, uh, draft versions of their papers to sort of get, you know, the, you know, a draft version of what they're, you know, going to be publishing out there uh, sooner rather than later, as well as to sort of get feedback from the larger community, uh, as opposed to through the review process that the uh, you know, publisher is going to use, 
Because sometimes, you know, the publishers know who to talk to as far as getting a certain paper reviewed. Sometimes they know who to talk to and they can't get that person to review it. And sometimes they don't know who to talk to. Uh, and so you could have very hit or miss as far as the review process uh, for getting your uh, actual paper, uh, you know, sort of, you know, looked at there. So having a few more eyes is actually a good thing because you could have people come to you and say, you know, you have a cool idea here, but maybe you should think about this before you push it on the next step of publication. Uh, and that can make the science a lot better because there's a lot more opportunity for discussion before it hits that sort of finalized stage. Yeah, there's so many, like you have the distributed eyes, which gives you a more varied number and amount of people looking at things. The diversity in science is pretty crummy. So having a more diverse panel looking at everything you're doing is very helpful. And even something like Wikipedia that isn't claiming to be all scientific research, you can just get information about anything. Because stuff that people wouldn't bother to research. Or uh, there, there are you know, articles about people I know, and they're not super noteworthy, but I guess they're noteworthy enough. They have articles written about them. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's about them and what their, what their lives are about. It's not... This is the, uh, the 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 cure to um, yeah I don't know uh, the stubbed toe. It's 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 very much just sort of about that person. It's not research. It's not you know anything sort of more than that. It's not, it's, it's details, the findly bits, these little bits of information that are are kind of cool to know if you want to know more about a person, subject, or anything else. Yeah, you're getting more and more even just distributed science. I look at a site a lot called iNaturalist which is a new citizen science project that's trying to catalog a lot of natural biology stuff. Because there's, a, uh, there's a birding site that anyone who likes birding when you're allowed to go outside again should use called eBird that I put stuff on that is basically that. They, like Scientists use this all the time to track migration patterns and other things because you just have so many people looking at so many animals. Weirdly enough, it reminds me about um, earthquake tracking through Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of weird things that we've gotten to yeah. just from having so many eyes on the ground. Uh, human beings are a great sensor suite if you have enough of them. Now, I was reading a book, like, I feel like we need to bring this back into our normal depressing realm that we always do. But, uh oh. Well, I've been reading a book that basically says that the way that we think of modern economics in America, which is very important because it is how we are deciding basically all of our political and policy decisions is based on this economic theory. Um, it kind of boils down to this informed self-interest idea that if people, you know, rational self-actors, if someone is rational and has enough information and is motivated by making money, they will like do the obvious rational thing that would make them the most money and therefore we can predict their behavior and you know everything will turn out great because we're all just trying to optimize for this one thing and since we're all trying to optimize it for ourselves everyone's going to get it that's a bit of an assumption yeah there, but, but that's yeah, the that's core assumption kind of how the base laws but according to this theory wikipedia doesn't exist yep because <laughs> it's basically not something that people are making money off yeah of. the creators aren't really making money off of this thing they could go into the tech space they could make this a silicon valley fortune whatever whatever company get a bunch of venture capital dollars thrown at them and become silicon valley billionaires 
but they don't. They like manage this little website that they think is important and literally millions of people up keep it updated for free because as we've seen with the like moderation crises you have on, you know, like Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, you can't pay enough people to look at all the things going on at once. But if you distribute it this way, it all kind of works itself out. It's almost like people don't work as expected onto this model. Maybe we should update our model of uh, how the world I don't, I don't think what's easier to do is <laughs> to like try to explain how this behavior actually does fit into the model in some sort of weird half-made-up way that doesn't really explain things but gets people to be quiet enough that I still can write papers and get paid. Oh, no, that seems like a cop-out <laughs> to me. You know, some of this does remind me of another thing we can maybe touch upon yes. real quick. That's uh, maybe also a little depressing in some aspects, but uh, yeah, you could have all this this cool Wikipedia stuff here and free information uh, out on these websites. But what if you couldn't actually access them or officially access them? And then nobody. Then you'd have a hierarchy of who could get free information based on something, probably money, that I'm sure is completely fair and right and proper. Yeah, yeah. Let's say if you know, you say your ISP had a a bundle where. In order to even get Wikipedia, you had to pay extra. You know, they're not giving the money to Wikipedia, they're just pocketing it for themselves, but... Uh... Oh, they wouldn't do that because that's just fair practices, and no internet company would be that unfair to people. And they would surely not try to, I don't know, lobby for, you know, the end of net neutrality in order to uh, be able to do crap like that, Well, you they? know, just because the internet's not neutral doesn't mean you can't have fidget spinners, which is the most important thing. <laughs> fidget p spinners. The end-all, be-all of all civilization. Ha -ha! Anyway, I'm being glib, but yeah, there's been a yeah. There's been a decided push by internet companies to end net neutrality, which is the idea that all websites have to be given equal bandwidth regardless of what they are. And there's a push going to allow individual ISPs or the people that you buy your internet from to artificially slow down or speed up websites based entirely on their arbitrary whims, which is going to lead inevitably to them charging extra to people who want to be able to access certain popular web pages. Of course, they claim they would never do this, and laws are just stifling innovation or whatever some such, but this is literally their plan, and they've been fairly open about it. So, you know, it would either be directly charging the consumer to have different sort of tiers of internet with, you know, these websites will load for 100% of the time, these other ones maybe not, uh, and or if you buy the, the bigger plan and have, you know, you could get everything. Uh, or alternatively, they'll go to the companies that own the websites uh, and say, hey, Amazon, you have a lot of money. Uh, we'll make sure that your website loads, uh, you know, 100% of the time very quickly if you pay us some percentage of the sales you make. Uh, and the uh, the small uh, company over there that no one's ever heard of that still also has an internet presence trying to sell their trying try to make it big by selling things online, yeah, we're gonna charge you a higher percentage because we don't think there's gonna be any people actually going to your website. So in order for us to even allow people to go to your website, we want to we want to bear a cut. And so pretty soon it's going to be encouraging this sort of uh, monopoly sort of situation, which is already a major problem right now as far as our current economic system, uh, situation is. And it's just going to make things worse and 
things are going to cost uh, more for the end yeah, consumer. Yeah, it may or may not increase individual internet prices, which you know is already a problem because the internet companies can basically do whatever they want with their de facto monopolies that legally aren't monopolies. But it will, even if you on the user end don't you don't actually see a measurable price increase it will mean that small platforms will cease to be because only large companies that already have an established presence will be able to afford what the internet companies are charging them to be able to get their website seen by people and uh, this also has you know things you know you know can be uh, filtering quite awfully into certain uh, areas about freedom of speech in general it's like oh here's you know the the, uh, the the news websites that you know uh, you know have had a bad article about this ISP or the company there, you know, that owns them. And so suddenly this website is not accessible for a while. And, oh yes, we have the right to restrict anyone who does not pay us this, this uh, fee or something like that. And they haven't. So we have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just, there's just so much power being sort of grabbed by these companies by, you know, and they, you know, by, basically fighting back, you know, net neutrality and things like that, that it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, okay, obviously like so much of what you, all the excuses you're giving us to get there are kind of, you know, bullshit in the first place, but this is your end product. This is the obvious thing you'll be able to do. And you have not even attempted to tell us why that's bad. You're just sort of ignoring our, <laughs> ignoring our counterclaim for what you're, what you're trying to get here. Well, I was had this interesting, uh, interesting story on NPR the other day talking about how the stark relief of our horrible internet in the United States has been thrown up by you know everyone suddenly having to do everything from home online, and the internet companies are kind of starting to get called out a little bit because they took a bunch of government money and had a bunch of laws made saying the government wouldn't compete with them or build our own, you know better infrastructure in exchange for them doing a bunch of stuff to, you know, spread the internet around. And uh, they didn't. Yep. <laughs> it's like, wait a moment. The internet in this part of the country just kind of sucks. This area, this city, this county. Uh, so this basically town. it's kind of yeah. discovering that a bunch of these companies took a bunch of government money to do something and then never did it, which is not, mm -hmm. you know, that, that tends to get one into a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Though with the current administration, who knows how much trouble will actually Yeah, probably into. not much, though. <sighs> Thankfully, that kind of budgetary stuff isn't 100% controlled by the executive. But uh, still, it's, you know, it's getting that sort of, uh, you know, you know, a payoff cut even is kind of difficult. Because, you know, there's a lot of interests and lobbying yeah. and all that. Yeah, I mean, stuff. there's a lot of stuff. All there's, like, literally laws that have been put into place through internet lobbying that make it illegal for either the government, the city, or even other companies to build up their own internet infrastructure. Also, zoom, zoom. So now we've managed to turn the you know most boring episode of the original series into into depressing capitalism. But so what do you expect from us? The world is like <laughs> they, I don't know where things are going to be when this episode comes out in in like four weeks. But like right now, like everything's on fire. Yeah. Now, uh, and uh, just in case there's any confusion about, you know, where we stand up, uh, Black yes, Lives Matter. very much so. Yeah, I just uh, want, want to put that out there so there's no confusion. That's kind of all I had to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, that, that was like, yeah, that's the entire episode. Well, 
Yeah, I, yeah, and it was not really anything about the, what happened to the episode. No, here's an idea: libraries. They're fun and good. Go support your <laughs> yeah, library. Cool. They're in yes. trouble. Yes, yes. Uh, support your local library. It'll uh, you know it'll do you and the community good in the long run. Did you know the library has Netflix? Like for free, you get Surprise. to stream. You can stream yes. movies and things from the library without having to pay them. And companies like Netflix don't want you to know this, so that you'll keep paying them. So go to the library, guys, and make sure to wear your mask. Though also audiobooks. Like right now, a bunch of books are on back order because you know everyone's reading digital books at home. But yeah, you can get a bunch of stuff for free from the library because you pay taxes and they go to the library to give you free stuff. Yay! Oh, I did have one other sort of, I guess, goofy thing that I sure. mention. Why not? <laughs> so, so Mira, this is her first time in space, Apparently. right? Or at least deep space. And yeah, and so she's going out there, and she is the only one that's affected by this this weirdness. Everyone else on the ship is fine. So maybe the fact that everyone else has already run into weird mind control aliens of various sorts already has made them immune to that sort of thing. Locked off their minds. <laughs> or at least made them resistant to this sort of mind control. Like, I was going to say that they're all thinking of their Pazak game over and over, but I don't know how long it's been since anyone who would listen to this show has played Knights of the Old Republic 2. <laughs> I have that. I've not played it. I should get around to doing that. It's sometimes. weird. It's actually kind of bad. Because they didn't finish the story. Yeah, but. I kind of got that impression from what people say. So yeah, anywho, <laughs> Star Wars, it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're getting we're getting there. You can't you can't talk about sci-fi through the seventies without it. So true, true, true. Hmm. Yeah, we should maybe uh, think about our, our our future here as far as that sort of stuff goes. Oh yeah, I have a plan that I haven't told anyone, and I keep in my head, so it'll be a surprise. Do I know this plan? I don't think so. Unless you're somehow psychic and you never told me. No, not yet. Uh, sometimes I can see the future and that's kind of weird. See, I'm I'm horrible to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I might just have a weird connection to some li lights glowing in space, though, so uh, I'm not sure if it's Yeah, you're prescient about this what this very specific thing does. You know what that one squirrel is going <laughs> to do. That squirrel. Yes. It's going gonna, it's gonna to look at me and then run up the tree. There he goes. <laughs> oh my god, he's psychic. <laughs> I think we're going off to the end mm. here. I'm sure there'll be an episode about invasive species where we can talk about squirrels. So, Actually, that was the triple episode. Oh well. I think now it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome back to the game show portion of the show. How are you feeling tonight, everybody? Woo! Yeah. Ah, yeah. We're uh, we're we're surviving the apocalypse here. That's fine, but we're gonna keep giving out prizes all the same. We're gonna give out a few things because uh, we got some various contestants here who've been uh, scoring up some some mad points today. Our first prize is the TV Love Story prize, which goes to Scotty. Scotty, of course, because golly gee, he's in love again and acting like he's fourteen once more. What does he win, Gepwin? <laughs> Scotty, and this might be a good idea for the crew in general, you know that sour apple spray that you use to keep dogs off of things? Like, we just spray down everything with that so that they can stop trying to, like, be horny at each other and do the jobs. I think that's a good idea. 
Um, yeah, my my my, my uh, suggestion might have been to go back to that one uh, planet from Shore Leaf because I'm pretty sure they all got laid on that one. But yeah, this apple spray is probably good uh, stopgap. The meantime, yeah, I could keep them oh. keep them occupied for a minute. Our second prize is the hard drive brain prize, which goes to Lieutenant Mira Romaine for kind of having her head ready to be reformatted so the space ghost can go live inside her. What does she win, Gepwin? Mira wins more like just just a firewall or something like there's enough of these mind control aliens they don't even sort of talk about having any way to try to keep your mind from being read which is kind of interesting if you think about it but it does lead to some just randomness about whether or not it works wasn't wasn't it uh wasn't it uh oh well the Foundation series where they had some sort of devices where they could block mind powers? Probably. There's lots of those. Anyway, uh, our final prize today is the Space Ghost Prize. I, I probably should have come up with this, this prize a lot sooner, but it's our newest prize coming in this episode. It goes to the Zetar, the Zetars, the, 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 the weird glowy light people. They are the flashy light beings as they are basically just a bunch of ghosts who are decided to go in hot space and try to possess people. What do they win, Gepwin? Okay, everybody needs to win some ghost story books and go watch The Haunting of Hill House as like how to do ghosts right because you know just like aliens ghosts are supposed to be a metaphor for something so stop the the you, be a metaphor for something don't just be there so i think uh i'm tempted to reference the babylon 5 but maybe i'll do that after the segment here uh Geppen, take us away all right thank you all for joining us here surviving the apocalypse or not and becoming weird ghost light colony things. Yes, a hive mind of flashy lights. And thank you all for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! So Babylon 5, there's one episode where Londo Molari says, if you got all the Narn together and had them hate, it would manifest and reach out across space and destroy Centauri Prime, his home world. And so that's what I was thinking. Isn't that how the orcs and Warhammer work? Maybe. There's just enough of them around that their collected belief in a thing manifests it into being. That could be a problem, yeah. <laughs> Seen that happen in a lot of different things, actually. We recognize that collective visualization and action works. We just want to keep people from doing it. It's almost like, you know, getting together and uh, teaming up with some folks can make us more, more powerful as a, as a group. Yeah, there's nothing happening recently that we could apply that to. I really hope something's <laughs> come of it by now and this episode yeah, is becoming very irrelevant by the time this comes out, but I have doubts, so, you know. Uh, you know, there, there is a little movement here or there, but a lot more needs to change. I hope that the fight has been kept up and or been successful. Yes, uh, and if it isn't uh, successful yet, um, uh, you know, go out there and, and, you know, raise some hell, folks. If you don't want to go outside, there's plenty of things that you can do inside. Write people, Indeed. donate to things. Now, there's bail funds for the you know, helping out those that are being uh, specifically targeted out in the streets. Uh, and there's even like, you know, uh, you know, like whole organizations they're trying to help keep people organized and safe and all that and so you can go go help them out if you got some uh dollars to uh, toss out um also you know just listen to people and 
you know, help spread stories and news about what's going on. And uh, if there is that one kind of racist uncle out there that uh, is bothering you on Facebook, feel free to uh, call them out. Or if you are in a position to do that yourself, poke one of your friends that they don't know to help do that for you. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I know a family situation could be complicated, but this crap needs to be confronted. So, yeah. So keep up the good work, everybody. Just to add, don't be too disappointed when they don't listen. Because they probably won't. Still important. <laughs> yeah, so you know, keep, keep keep rolling, folks. Now we're done with however much of that didn't get cut for relevance later on when I'm editing this in six weeks. <laughs> so this was episode 79, and long-term listeners will know that our 10th episode anniversaries mean something. Hmm, what does that mean, Gap? It means that I don't have to write the script this week. Woot! Holy smokes, that means it's my turn. Yeah, it's your turn to pick a random movie that we may or may not have heard of. Well, I think I just... I, 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 I was narrowing it down between a few things, uh, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, it, it's not, it, not going to be District 9, because uh, you said you didn't much care for that one. Um, Tank Girl, I was very tempted to go with. Uh, and so it was down t- to two options. Uh, and so... It was it was kind of hard choice between those two options, but I think I did promise uh, to for sure have a good movie, and one of them is definitely a good movie, and the other one's more of a weird movie that I also really like. But anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say it's good. So uh, we're going to be doing Dark City next week. Dark City is an absolute sci-fi noir classic. I have seen this one before. It's been one of my kind of long-term sci-fi favorites since college yeah same here it's a a movie that is not a period piece but it's a movie that is about it takes place in periods you could say yeah it's not a period piece but it is a noir piece Mm -hmm. that is taking all of the trappings and you know scenery and everything of the noir genre and using it and the kind of tropes of that mm-hmm. to explore some interesting science fiction themes. Yes, and so it, it's it's glorious. I yeah, I'd, I'd recommend uh, giving it a watch if, uh, before next week if you can. Um, if not, I guess j- just tune in for next week and uh, have some fun as we uh, roll through that. Yeah, spoiler free on there. It has my like favorite way that you get the good guy to do stuff in the end of like any movie it makes so much sense for the narrative that they've yes like given out okay so all the pieces actually do come together for this to make sense excellent yeah it's it's great and we will talk about that one next week on watches of tomorrow next time on watchers of tomorrow have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. 
you may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash drisix, and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware the next time you step off the transporter that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>